0: On the show today, I'm joined by not one, but two very special guests, both who starred in Greta Gerwig's Oscar-nominated film, Lady Bird. First up is Stephen McKinley Henderson, who's also been in four other Best Picture nominees, and then it's my chat with the wonderful Marielle Scott. There's all that and more on today's show. Don't go anywhere. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Benjamin Mayer-McKay's Talk To Me. I'm your host, Benjamin, and I couldn't be more excited to have two stars of one of my favorite films of all time on the show today. Lady Bird came out last year and was written and directed by Greta Gerwig. It won a ton of awards and was nominated for some Oscars as well. And I've got two of the stars here on the show today. First up, I'm talking to Stephen McKinley Henderson. Uh, He's a wonderful actor. He's uh, been on Broadway with Denzel Washington. He was in the movie Fences as well, also with Denzel. He was in Manchester by the Sea, extremely close and incredibly loud. And the Steven Spielberg film Lincoln. He's had a wonderful Uh, Vast career And then I talked to Marielle Scott Who in addition to Lady Bird is in a new HBO uh, show The First season out last year New season, it's an anthology series It's called uh, Room 104 And that's an excellent show, she's got a new episode of that coming out soon She's also talking about some of her other upcoming films And uh, I can't wait to share both of these interviews with you today But first up Here's my chat with Stephen McKinley Henderson Enjoy Stephen, welcome to the show Thank you so much for joining me today now you are actually in an upcoming film uh called the true adventures of wolf boy tell me what it was like working with the uh, the director of that film
1: wonderful yeah he was i it's just delightful working with him just absolutely delightful and he wrote me a fabulous letter uh explaining to me what his attraction to the project was and about bullying in his childhood and and about bullying in general and having the the you know empathy for any one of the kids that that's put on the outside you know that's made to, to feel uh an other and uh, this particular um disease disorder that uh, has hair growing all over one's body for for a kid coming through puberty you know it's it take a lot of kidding take a lot of ribbing and uh, have a lot of doubts so but he wrote such an eloquent letter and at the time I was doing a show on Broadway uh Dow's House part 2 and it looked as if that I wasn't going to be able to do it because although it was a essentially a, a lovely cameo a one day shoot it required at least a day of um of makeup, uh, you know, doing some experimenting with makeup, and on one day, which would maybe be six to eight hours, and then the next day, uh, about a four- or five-hour makeup session uh, before shooting the, the scene with the uh, young man who was playing the principal, and he'd been, he, the, you know, principal character. And he, this young man, had been doing this makeup, every morning for several weeks, you know, so I only had about two two days of it. But I only had one day off. When you do a Broadway show you only have one day off. So it was looking like I wasn't gonna be able to do it and uh and I was really quite dismayed. But um then as it turned out the show uh closed, uh the Broadway show closed and uh and I thought, Oh my God, I'll never be able to get back to that, and he called. He had heard. He knew that the show had closed, and he hadn't cast the role. And he said, "I really, I really wanted you to do this." And so it was just such a joy to uh, to get to do it after all, and then to find out that they were shooting it in my. You know, I was in New York, and I had talked to him in Europe once, and then in California once. I didn't know where they were shooting it. And I was really anxious to come home after being on Broadway. And they were shooting it in Buffalo, New York, where I live. So I said, oh my goodness. Sometimes, you know, when it's yours, it just doesn't go past you. You know, if it's if you're supposed to do a project, there's, there's nothing that will take it away. And then if you're not supposed to do it, there's nothing you can do to get it, you know. But that uh, well, was ch- such a wonderful, wonderful experience. And I also got to spend a, a lovely uh, breakfast with... Uh, John Turturro, who's also in the film and uh so and I don't want to give very much away about the film, so I probably said too much there I don't know whether i should even you should even talk about the fact that I had to do uh to do that makeup because that does give something away there uh uh you know i don't I don't know how to handle that I just because in the film you know it it appears that there's only the one. The one person who has it, and it's the kids. So maybe, uh, well, I, I'm glad I shared the story with you, but uh, about getting to do the film. But I probably should not let it be known <laughs> that I had to do this long makeup session. But I had great respect for this young, this young man who was maybe you know 15, maybe maybe 15, 14, 15 years old. The patience he had uh, in the chair uh, uh, to 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 go through. That that metamorphosis. I uh, had great uh, great respect for his his
0: discipline. Absolutely. And you you talk there about projects that were meant to be and then projects that weren't. Were there any projects that got away from you that you would have really liked to have done?
1: Well, you know, geez, you know, you try to you try to put them behind you as rapidly as you can, um, but um, I, they're definitely there definitely have been but i but to, in order to to name them you know i would i would have to probably say who who ended up doing it and then see once an actor gets a hold of something uh you know anybody that that gets it anybody worth their salt uh you can't you can't see anybody else doing it you know of course. so but yes i've had i've had projects um particularly stage projects because i you know i i came to film uh, after a, a rather long uh, stage career, so uh, uh, that's mainly where where I had, and it, it was sometimes in regional theaters. I mean, you, they, I'm sure they have. They call them the provinces in England, but in here in, in America, it's the regional theater. But you know, uh, companies that are resident companies in different parts of the country. Um, so yeah, there are a few there are a few things that have slipped through my slipped through my grasp, uh, but, uh, but, you know, you, you count the ones that you're fortunate enough to do. That, those are the most important ones, the ones that you got a chance to share time with, uh, with wonderful casts and, uh, and directors, and so that, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't uh, harbor any, any regret about the ones I missed. I just have joy for the ones I got.
0: That's a great way to be, but what inspired you to become an actor?
1: Well, you know, uh, I kind of just wanted—I wanted to be. Um, people, people tended to 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 sort of look at me and say, "Well, I know what kind of guy he is. I know who that is. I know what he is. I know I know what he does. I know that kind of." And I didn't like that. I didn't like people putting me in a you know, pigeonholing me and saying, oh, you know, I, I know what he's thinking or I know what he's, I know what he's like and I know what his points of view are. And as I know, I'm far more flexible than that. And uh, my brother who was a very mo- great motivator. He was five years older than me and he was deaf and uh, he loved the movies. He loved films and he would go and see films and he could, um, uh, he could read the lips, uh, you know, of the, the uh, the big the big screen heads you know the heads that were as big as the screen so he kind of learned to read lips really well from from movies but um, but there was always a part of the story that and I didn't know how he couldn't even imagine how he was receiving the story but he had little gaps little little places because a line was spoken off camera or uh, or something and he you know he didn't quite get it so after we'd go to the movies. Uh, and we would go back home. Uh, we talk, and he'd say, "Stevie, uh, what was happening when this or that went down?" You know, and because he, and then I then I understood he was seeing a, um, a, a an abstract version of the story because he was missing certain pieces of information. Much he could gather, but so I started acting it out for him. I mean, at first it was just about telling him, but then it became so much fun to kind of, you know, try to, to try to act out the parts and, you know, and say that when he said this and he said, you know, and when he was doing this, cause he would remember that what he saw. And then I say, this is what that person was saying off camera. And that's how this fits to that. And that was a part of, uh, of it. And, uh, and then also we, um, we, uh, we raised money once to get him, uh, to go to uh, a school for the deaf because, uh, you know, he was going to regular school and, and doing very poorly, and uh, we had an aunt in Oklahoma who, when we would go down there in the summer, she would uh, ask him to to sign the Lord's Prayer, the 23rd Psalm, and I would, uh, I had to memorize it. I, mean, I was seven and he was 12, and uh, so I memorized the Lord's Prayer and the 23rd Psalm, and he signed it, and she took us around to a few churches, and to raise money. And as he began to buy into the fact that he could actually go to a school where people were like him and he would not be made fun of and that, uh, then um, uh, he started signing it with such a beauty. And with this, this super objective, he started signing it with a goal, you know, because my my aunt had convinced him that if, if we do this, if we raise this money, we'll have money for you to go, and be around uh, kids that are like you and you won't be getting bad grades, you'll be getting good grades and people know that you're really smart and not slow just because you can't hear always. And he started doing it with such a verb, such a such a passion that I had to match that. B in the beginning he was doing it simply by the numbers and I was saying, Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom You know, I was doing it kinda by rope, And then I just connected to him. And it became clear that I couldn't just do it that way, and that he had that desire to to go. And I I wanted it for him because I was enjoying school, and I it was when I really grasped the experience that he had been having in school. You know, because we we didn't grow up in the same uh, household. Uh, we were we were separated, uh, but uh, but we always got together. He always came to see about me. Uh, and and take me to the movies, or you know. And when we in the summer, my grandfather would take us down uh, to to Oklahoma from Kansas to uh, to know family and that. So because we were apart, uh, my grandfather made sure we had shared experiences. But so it was just he was really the source. Either either from doing that, you know, actually speaking lines uh, in front of people, and going to the movies and doing them just for him. Um, when I was exposed to poetry, I had some great teachers in my uh, junior high school and high school in Kansas City, Kansas. It's great teachers. And um, and poetry was something that I was drawn to. And so uh, it all sort of fell in place. You know, it sort of fell in place. And then there was this beautiful girl named Rita. Who, 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 when they had talent shows and I, after school, you know, and I was kind of watching Rita. I used to try to kind of walk home the way she walked home, and she went one evening to an audition, uh, and I don't know if she went to the audition just to try to throw me off her trail. She, you know, I was kind of following her, but she went into this room where they were auditioning for um, The Miracle Worker, and uh, uh, and I went in, and an audition for the brother, uh, for Helen Keller's brother, because uh, when I saw what was going on, I kind of identify with. That. And that was first play I did. First play I ever did was in in high school. Um, it was uh, the Miracle Worker, and, um, and and that was. And once I did a play, that was it. I was I was I was absolutely hooked. I mean, I really I was really hooked for the very first time I did one. Uh, uh, it was, it was being a part of a group. It was being a part of people who were working together to bring about this artistic message and a message with some humanity, with some some sense of uh, you know a common good. And, um, and and I and I just I just thought it was just the greatest thing. So I just only wanted to have a role. I mean, it wasn't like I was the. I see a movie and say, I want to be a a big star, be an actor. I just wanted to be in it. I wanted to be a part of, uh, of telling that story together. And, and, and so that everybody, and also, you know, not do the same thing every time. So that people didn't say, Oh, I know, I think I know what he's about. You know, I know what he, what's going on with him. I I did like to make sure that I was more expansive than, than their idea of me, you know?
0: Absolutely. And you talk about the camaraderie of, of theatre. I, I find that in film and TV that's often lacking because people are only there for a day or, or two days. Is that why you've done more theatre?
1: Well, you know, I, I didn't think of it that way, but see, I got it. now again, something else that I but you're actually right about there's, there's less of that camaraderie because you don't come every night to do the whole story. You, you get together. But there's, there is a, a, a joy of being a part of a successful film. Like I was just part of Lady Bird and there was a closeness because of Greta Gerwig made everyone, you, you knew that you were a part of something when you hit that set, you know, that there was something special going on. But then, uh, last year, uh, the year before it, to be a part of, of Denzel's fences because we had done the show you see on, on Broadway. And the fact that he is such a incredible, incredible, uh, Man of, of character, uh, that that he wanted to keep that group together, and and he did. So when we when we did, he he was able to make certain that we were most of us together. Because he could have once they had Denzel Washington and Viola Davis, they could have you know done that done that film with with anyone. But Denzel wanted that family. He wanted that. He wanted to have that as part of. And he had been a part of a project in his youth, uh, younger days, when he, he did a, a thing called A Soldier's Story. Well, it was A Soldier's Play when he did it on stage, and then they made a movie, The Soldier's Story. And he regretted that they weren't able to keep that company together, he said. And so he kept us together. And that's just wonderful to be a part of that particular film. Both those films, uh, for in very different ways, uh, uh the, the Fences and and the lady bird but ladybird was was an ensemble it really whenever you even when you weren't in a scene with someone you were just so glad to to be able to say hey that's that's a nice thing to be a part of you know so uh and and spielberg's lincoln he he had that had that feel because you knew that it was mission oriented work when you hit the set you knew that everybody was was wanted to bring their a game and wanted to be a part of something that was very special for for for, for Stevens, very special for daniel day and and also knowing that that president who was in the white House at the time was a particular uh you know fan of 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 lincoln uh and and they did screen it for for obama so that was that was wonderful to uh, to be a part of, but I've been I've been fortunate in that regard. I haven't done a lot of film, but uh, but I've been in in a, in a few that that really there it was there it was some mission oriented work to it. You know what I mean? Mm. It had it had its mission.
0: Certainly, and I mean the films you've listed there all all Oscar nominated films. So I mean, are you just very discerning about the scripts that you pick? Because you were also in Manchester by the Sea, which was nominated as well. I mean, you've had yeah, a lot of yeah art. yeah yeah.
1: I have. I mean, I, I think. I mean, because uh, "Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close" um, was uh, was a nominated film, and to see Max von Sydow's work uh, in that, and, and and you know Sandra Bullock and 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 Tom Hanks. All I mean, all those wonderful people. It's just an incredible film, too. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I I've been fortunate. Um, I I can say that. You know, I I don't want to say just luck fortune and luck i think i think you have a little bit to do with good fortune you you have uh because if you've been true to something and it and it and it and it goes all the way to to some sort of uh um uh, you know destination then that's good fortune uh uh and but uh but i have i've been very fortunate that's all i can say in terms of the five nominated uh uh, of films uh and 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 now having identified that and said it you know you we you and i have, have voiced it, and you know who knows when'll ever if i ever but I still feel so supremely fortunate to have been a part of the the nominated films that i that I have been part of and uh so yeah,
0: yeah, well, I do want to talk about ladybird because that that was uh most recent incredible movie. I absolutely loved it. I saw it a number of times uh, in cinemas. It was it was that good. But it was Greta's directorial debut. So because she hadn't had that experience before, did, was that different to working with other directors like Spielberg or, or even Denzel?
1: Well, you know, because she, she too is such a wonderful actor, um, uh, it was... It, I knew I was in good hands because you didn't think about anything but the the, the, the scene that was before you, and she created. And, and the other thing is, she had a quality very much like uh, I, I worked on stage with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman as a director. He he directed plays. I was in a company he was a part of. And the great thing about him, being such a great actor, but how much he enjoyed. Seeing actors do their work, how much he he enjoyed other actors' work, and Greta has that. Greta, there's something, there's a joy that you can just pick up from her, and you can see it, you can feel it, see it on her face when something is going really well, and she enjoys it. So she has such a relish for the work, and 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 she never comes at it from. Uh, oh no, that's not it. Point of view, it, it, it'd be a let's try this, or oh let's go further, or oh I think I know where you're going. You know, there's never um, oh no no no, that's not it. That that that's not a part of it. it the the creative process is um, is is her joining in. You know, she's joining it. So. Um, Uh, It it wasn't like it was a first directing job. It wasn't at all like that. Uh, Nobody was, uh, I'm not at all aware of that. That, because she, she, first of all, she had everything prepared. Everything was ready when you hit the, you know, you hit the set. And she had people, I I imagine, much like Denzel, that she had people working whom she had worked with on other projects. You know, as an actor or or as a co-writer or something. So she had a shorthand with the cinematographer and with the camera people, with the, um, you know everyone. And uh, and and it, because it was a school kind of setting, you know, she was she was, was your favorite teacher. You know, she was kind of that. You know, and like she asked me to to just take do a class with him, Steve. Because she knows that I, you know, teach it, uh, and I taught for many years here in Buffalo, and I teach at Juilliard and, and at Fordham University and different places. I had I've I sort of slowed down because I'm, i now I'm retired from being a professor, uh, but um, but I get to I get to work from time to time do do classes. So she said just just do one of your do one of your classes with him, and uh, and and again, could I could see her. Just smiling and enjoying it, enjoying the kids doing you know, kids. They're not kids; they're professional, wonderfully professional actors. But they were playing children. They were playing, you know, uh, adolescents so well that I had the sense that they were that they were young people. But many of them were, you know, they they appeared young. But I mean, my God, uh, Sersa is just one of the most brilliant actors, you know, in the world, and um, all of them, and and Beanie. Uh, Her friend, that my favorite, so so many wonderful things in that movie, but the two of them going to the prom together, that's just one of the greatest. Uh, And uh, and then, you know, I had the one brief scene with Laurie Metcalf, but uh, I cherish it because, uh, again, Greta just made sure that it was a very small space, a very small room, and that we were, you know, able to spend time together before, just chatting, just 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 talking about uh some mutual friends we knew in Chicago and being in London at the same time once and not knowing each other but knowing that we were working for the national uh at the same time. And uh so there were little little stories. But to to have that to have that, that one uh that one scene with her was just such a such a joy. And and, and Greta really set that up to be such a uh, full of empathy, uh, you know, uh, and, and you know, Laurie, she got a great cast together, you know, let's just mm-hmm. let's face it, man. You know, she had uh, Lois Smith and uh, uh, Tracy Letts and uh, Laurie Metcalf, Patricia Roman, uh, Lucas Hedges, Timothy Shalet. Uh, I mean, you know, come on, man. It was, it was great to be a part of that, great to be a part of it.
0: It certainly sounds like it, and a lot of that cast has worked on stage at some point. Do you think that theatre actors are often more disciplined because of the rehearsal process and because of how much time you typically spend preparing for theatre, whereas film can be a little bit more hasty?
1: Well, you know, I think perhaps, uh, but there's, there's some really fine, fine uh, actors in cinema that have, have primarily had cinema work, but 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 it's it's the it's the generosity of spirit a person can i think the theater gives it to you that the theater really does make you realize that you serve the story that it's not about your career that 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 you have to let that go at some moment you have to just you know let go what what can this do for me and 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 be really tied into how i can best uh, support and reveal and uh, the story, you know. Um, and so, so I think that theater, but they're 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 ungenerous theater actors too. I hate mm-hmm. to say it, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. There's some people. It, it, it has more to do with the with the the, the level of character of the person, but but I, I think the theater demands when you have to go out there every night and you're doing it with the other people, you know, you you, you develop a generosity or at least a sharing because. There are days that you're not you're not quite on, and you rely so much on the inspired person that night. If you can tie into the person who's doing doing the work from an inspired place tonight, you can come out of your doldrums, or you can you know you can join join the fun. And um, so I I don't yeah it might be it's, it's discipline to a certain extent It certainly is discipline. Um, because stage actors tend to, to say the lines that were given, <laughs> you know, but then there's some directors that want you to use those lines as simply a, um, a springboard. Um, so you have to, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta give a little and, and you gotta let go. You gotta be a little loose and free. Of some of the the best takes are when you're, you're not trying to to be so disciplined about it, but you you know, you 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 gotta try to be inspired. Every take, you know, you you're looking for the inspiration here. And that's why I say in the in the film and I always say in the class, you know, you don't wanna get it right. You wanna get it true. So in order to get it true, you've gotta connect with the other person. You can't get it right based on your head or or some principles or rules or discipline that you think it is. You, you don't want to be trying to get it right. You, you really want to get it true between you and the other people. And, and so uh, I, do, I do think that those rivers run into the same lake. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. And you've done theatre both in the UK and the US. Do audiences respond to similar things in the same way, or is it a very different uh, response?
1: well i I can give you a great example uh I did a play by the great playwright Athol fugar fugar is a south african playwright uh he's just a brilliant man and uh, we did a play the play called the Island and the Island is about two political prisoners on south uh, on the uh, robin island uh, uh back during the, you know at the apartheid period and um and we did the show in the United States and then we were asked to come to the Dublin Theater Festival. Now this was in Dublin not in not in London but, but we were in Dublin and we had we had great success with this play in America, great success uh uh in, in St. Louis uh where we started it and and even in Chicago and a few other cities that we played. But in Dublin we got uh responses that were quite, quite something. And the reason is because uh, what Fugard, the conceit of the play is that these two prisoners are going to be in a talent show and they're going to put on the play of Antigone. And one plays Creon and the other guy has to play Antigone. And they, of course, have a big argument about who's going to be cast as the the girl in this, uh, who's going to be the king. And and I just minds it, you know, he's just a brilliant writer and he minds it for all the political implications of the great uh, political play that Antigone is. But what we found was because of the, the classical, uh, reading the training that, that, that you know, and how, how well read the, the, the Irish audience uh, was in terms of classics that they were getting laughs from things that we never got in the states, you know, because they understood the the uh, the, the the puns and the irony that came from these two guys arguing about who's going to play Antigone and who's going to play Creon, and and that we had success with the play here, and and there were people who got it too. I'm not saying that that people were completely oblivious to the legend or the, or the to the to the great Greek drama uh, Antigone. But it wasn't as as present for him, you know. And uh, and then uh, when we, I did August Wilson's *Jitney* at the National, we we, uh, we had a company. We've been doing the show for from 1996 to 2002. We did this play, and we came to to uh, to the National in 2001. And I was, you know, you have to try to keep something fresh for yourself. We didn't do it every day for six years, but we'd do it and then we'd, you know, have it down and then we'd go another city. So we did about 14 venues uh, in, in, in six years doing the show. But we got to, 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 to London and they prepared us for it. They said, you know, we know you've, you guys have been very successful with this and you've had some uh, standing ovations and so on and so forth. And said, we just want you to know that the British audience really appreciates the work, but they rarely rise. They, you know, you just don't rise that often. So, you know, you might get it once or twice, but I understand that you guys are quite, you know, uh, used to that, but just, just to prepare you for it, you know. And uh, <laughs> and I had heard the stories, because I, I went over early to be the staff director, so I was uh, working with the understudies before the rest of the company came over. I was uh, getting the, uh, the standby actors prepared So they all said that. They were all saying, yeah, you know, we heard you guys are really doing good, but just know that British, well, (laughs) we got to standing O every night, the whole run. And and because they were really open to seeing something so very different from what they had seen. And because it's a, 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 a Jitney station, a cab stand in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in a you know the Hill District. and it was, and they knew the legend of, of, of legend. But they they knew that August Wilson had been having this great success with this Century Cycle. But this particular this particular show, uh, which is really really uh, 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 you know working class and thing, and man, they just loved it at the National. They just they just absolutely loved it. So I, you, you get surprised, you know. But but audiences. Uh, the more theatre they've seen, I think the more the more open they are to theatre, you know?
0: Absolutely. And obviously you've done a couple of August Wilson's plays. Is there anything particular that attracts you to his work?
1: Oh, the, the language. You know, it's like all great poetic playwrights. Uh, it's the language. The The way he has of saying things. He just has a unique voice like the great the great poetic playwrights they just have a a unique way to to say pass me the butter you know they just don't they don't just say pass me the butter they find a way to you know and uh uh uh, and and it's just the other thing is that he's um he gives voice to so many of our ancestors i mean there are people that you haven't seen because he wrote a play for each decade of the 20th century i was born in 1949 so I saw uh you know gr- grandparents you know um that that uh you know grandparents that were born at the turn of the century you know and um uh so so I was I I was aware of the voices you know aware of the voices you know Absolutely Yeah so yeah you know that's 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 the thing to to find out that you can hear a grandparent, or an uncle, or an aunt, and, you, and it's so authentic. You know, it's like it's an echo, and, and 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 raised, exalted in language. And they didn't speak exactly like that, but that was their wisdom, and he has poeticized it in such a in such a way uh, that uh, it honors them.
0: Certainly. And, I mean, Fences obviously was immortalised in the film that we've, we've briefly spoken about. Was the Broadway play almost identical to the film? I mean, how much actually changed?
1: Well, you know, um, the only thing that changed is where it took place. The, the dialogue, the text was... Um, it was August Wilson. Uh, Denzel often said there was one line... Uh, that was added and the line was the commissioner will see you now and other than that every word spoken in, the, in, in, in that film was written by August Wilson
0: so when, the, when the, I suppose the preparation process for the film was there anything that you had to relearn because you would just done it on Broadway I mean it's a very emotional show
1: no but see but that's the thing you see we had not just done it we did it in 2010 and we filmed it in 2016. Ah. Was it hot? So, but what back? we did do, yeah, what? Well, no, even so, because it does go in deep. When you do a show every night, it goes in deep. But Denzel was just so wise. We went and when he found the house in the yard that we were going to live, that was going to be the house, and he found the, the place that was going to be where we worked and the streets we were um, We went inside this house and 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 got the audience out of it cuz see when you're on the stage you've got to reach that back row you know you've got to you you've, you've got to be seen and heard uh uh to the back row you don't want to cheat anyone and so there's a technique that you use that's a stage technique that uh, George Bernard Shaw used to say you raise it to the optics of the space if you're in a, a smaller theater you raise the you raise your performance to the optics of that space your voice and your gesture to the optics of the room and a larger room. You have to raise the optics of that, you know, uh, to the optics of that room. But, uh, when you do the film, it's really you and the other actors eyes It's you and, and, uh, and that other person right there in the room. And so what Denzel wisely did was put us in those rooms. Uh, so we rehearsed, um, for a period of time before we ever shot. Um, we got the text back by finding it in in the space and in the yard, and in, you know that we were actually in rather than have that memory of of the audience uh, and and serving serving the audience, which we we were able to do. Uh, this is a show did win uh, best revival, you know Tony uh, and uh, and Denzel and Lila were honored, but. It it you, it it does it has to be modulated to the to the actual room.
0: Of course, and because it's so emotionally intense, I mean, especially when you were doing it on Broadway, was it difficult to remove yourself from that high level intensity after every show?
1: Well, you know, um, I you know, I think if you ask Denzel and Viola, it, it was for me, it was more depth. Than, uh, than the, the the intensity because the two of them have to go to a really intense place and and I had to go to a really um um, um you know um, say heartbreaking place it it, it it broke my heart to to uh, to know that I had to I had to stop seeing my dear friend as often as I had been always seeing him, you know i mean we didn't change the friendship you know still loved the guy but uh but i couldn't uh, <clears throat> you know he 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 started to change and it wasn't the same so but but because after you do it a while and because the the rehearsal camaraderie the room after the text uh you just had such respect for the people uh, it wasn't as difficult for me in that show as as in other shows, uh, like for instance, The Island. We talked about that. that so connected to the anti-apartheid uh, situation, and, and, and uh, but but it, it's just so heartfelt. I can tell you, the film, the filming it, the last day of filming that that that, that show, uh, the the fences, that was oh man, that was something. To know that whole journey, and and then to say goodbye, and know that you're really saying goodbye. Because see, when we did the play, by the time it ended, Denzel had pretty much made up his mind. He said, "We're going to do this again. We're going to get together again when I get my schedule cleared." And he 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 he. Uh, and then I did another play with him between fences, and that we did a revival of a Raisin in the Sun. And he said, uh, at that time in 2014, 15, uh, he said, okay, man, be ready in spring of 16. I told you we're going to do it. And, and he was really faithful to it. So we got to it. And so it was always kind of open-ended, you know, and when we closed that show in New York, it always had the hope or the promise that we might be able to make this, uh, to leave this legacy, you know, really, really, uh, in, the in the animals of cinema and, um, and we did. And then it came around to the last day. And, uh, that was something, uh, that, that, that's the emotional, um, uh, something, uh, and those actors, I mean, Michael T. Williamson and, and, um, Russell Hornsby, you know, the great Violet Davis, and, uh, um, you know, J- Javon. Uh, it was. It, I mean, it was just uh, incredible. You know, that was emotional. That was. And the little girl, she's just such a gem. And uh, she was in uh, in, in the Hidden Figures that year as well. So she and I both were in two films. I was uh, that 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 particular Oscar season. I was in uh, Manchester by the Sea and Fences, and she was in Hidden Figures and. And fences, and um, so it was just lovely sharing that sharing that with her, but she was a sweetheart and a real dear.
0: It certainly sounds like it was a great project, but i want to want to touch on something you said earlier that you you taught classes. So do you think that anyone can become an actor?
1: no i I, I think anyone can do. A performance, uh, somewhere, uh, you know, that's why the community theaters exist. I mean, it's a wonderful thing. I mean, it's like, yeah, anyone can sing a song and anyone can write a poem. If you, if you fall in love, you can write a poem. Uh, if, if you have a loved one die, you can write a few lines to them. And, uh, and, and when you're in the shower, you, you, you sing marvelously. And, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and at a wedding, every father, uh, can dance with his daughter and every mother can dance with their son and it'd be like Fred and Ginger. Uh, but, um, so I do think that, that there are instances for the, for the public good, you know, but to, to do, uh, our town, say by Thornton Wilder or, uh, that these, these things are possible and, and, and you can be, uh, uh, you know, you can be a, a, a chef or a, or a waiter and 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 be in a club and do a play. I think so. I don't think that that's that rarefied. Now, a life as an actor, to really have a life as an actor, to live to live that life, uh, be a journeyman, and 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 uh, you know, do all kind of varied roles and all kind of circumstances and. And stay with it when it seems like, you know, you're never going to get a job again. And uh, that's another matter. But um, but uh, so I guess what I'm saying is I think anyone can act. I don't know if if anyone can be an actor.
0: So uh, so so finally, what advice would you offer to anyone who wants to become an actor seriously and professionally?
1: Well, I you know I have to always say uh, you work on your. Uh, uh, you work on your craft. You can't work on your career. You know, you 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 you. I, you have to go and train. I I, I believe in that. I believe, uh, you know, because people come and they they say, "Well, I went to school and I got a degree, and so how do I get a job?" And I said, "Well, you know, you can't work on your career as much as you can work on your craft. You know, uh, uh, you can the 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 craft you seek." Is in your hands. The career you seek may elude you. You know, if you, if you, when you, when you say, "I want to have a career" or "I want to be this or that," that can elude you. But you can always, always work on your craft. And uh, I, I, I learned this from a wonderful artist uh, who's a friend of mine, a painter, and and he, he was. I, I knew him in his in his teens when he was drawing. You know, and he was just drawing, and and I thought, oh, that's nice. He draws, and he stayed with it for thirty-five years, and he became an artist, man. This guy, his stuff. I bought, I bought one of his works not not long ago, and I just thought, my God, what Gilbert has done. The the various techniques, the things he's used, the, the, the materials he's been involved in the different ways that he's grown and, you know, and he did it for himself. He didn't do it to sell anything. It came one day, he just had so many works in his house that he said, I don't know what I'm going to do with all this stuff. And someone said, well, why don't you try selling it, man? You know, because he always worked at another job, but he painted because he had to. His soul, he had to paint. And and so, uh, uh, and and most of the, you know, actors, that I know uh, who who survive over decades, uh, they know that every two or three years or maybe sometimes every five years, you're going to do one of those roles. You're going to be a part of something that's going to keep you in it for another 10 years. (laughs) You know, you're going to get discouraged and everything, but then you got that experience that you say, oh, wow. Because sometimes you got to go to work. Uh, and you gotta you gotta pay the bills, and so you you can you you know you do certain projects that don't necessarily you know make your soul uh, uh, take flight, but but you still enjoy it because it's a craft, the craft of acting. But when you get with a great ensemble, and all of them have craft, all the actors have craft, then it's an art form. Then it reaches a level of art to me that that acting is 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 a craft that reaches the level of art. Uh, in an ensemble, among others of like mind, working on something that some playwright has given that just makes them sore, And, uh, and, and you, you know when that happens, and you look for it, you know?
0: Of course. Well, look, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. I've, I've absolutely loved it. You've had some, some great stories, some wonderful advice. And I'll be sure to let listeners know when The True Adventures of Wolf Boy is uh, released. That was my chat with Stephen McKinley Henderson. Now, here's my interview with Marielle Scott, enjoy. Welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining me today. Oh,
2: my pleasure.
0: (laughs) Now, what inspired you to pursue a career in the performing arts?
2: You know, that's hard. I started acting when I was six, I did a school play and it was the fox and the quail, and I played the fox. And I remember just, like, running around the stage and being on my hands and my feet and just um, this feeling this kind of, like, energy of telling the story. And I really fell in love, and then uh, just I didn't stop doing it. I just went from youth theater and then went to um, L.A. County High School for the arts downtown, and I studied acting, and then UCLA to study acting, and so it was just a very natural progression for me. I just kind of, like, followed it.
0: Absolutely. And do you think it's important for actors to have some sort of formal training to solidify their skills?
2: You know, that's hard because not everybody has the opportunity to... Um, acquire formal training, but I will say for me, it was um, crucial. I I learned so much that, you know, because it's easy when you graduate and when you're a working actor to get wrapped up in the business side and kind of lose sight of the art um, side of it. So I think that having that background and that root will always bring you back to the story. So I think if you have the opportunity um, I had the opportunity to study Shakespeare in London and study with the Royal Shakespeare Company, and that was a life-changing experience. So if anything else, it just gives you life experience, which is, you know, invaluable.
0: Of course. And when you study Shakespeare with the RSC, is that an intimidating process? Because, I mean, there were some of the, you know, they've performed some of the finest adaptations of Shakespeare's works ever.
2: Oh, oh my god! It was I was just paralyzed. I remember we saw a um, we saw Titus Andronicus, which is Shakespeare's one of his earlier works, and he's just like this angsty teen, and and they did it in a very Tarantino esque style with like the long white dinner table and like the big blood bat everywhere and the the music, and I just, like, it was, like, magic. And then we would study with them, and I just would sit in the back, wide-eyed, and it was, yeah, it was incredibly intimidating, but, um, but so inspiring, so inspiring.
0: And why do you think Shakespeare still resonates with audiences today?
2: I think, I think because it's honest. And I think that each character is in pursuit of their truth, and you know they—they they just want to get the girl, or they just want to be someone else, or they—they want to fit in, and it—it—it it, it, it touches on the deep the deep, maybe even shameful parts of ourselves. Like, you know, the the revenge side or these that, that we want to act on, but we never do because we're hopefully good people. <laughs> but, it, you know, but we see ourselves. Wow, I would love to do that one day. But, you know, <laughs> let's not be psychopaths.
0: Just, just for now, let's not, not be psychopaths at the moment. We'll let, you know, the politicians <laughs> do that.
2: Today. Uh, today, let's not be crazy. Maybe a little.
0: (laughs) So what do you think is the most valuable thing you were ever taught? As an actor or as a human being? Well, I mean, you can got both.
2: (laughs) Oh, God. As an actor, one of the most valuable things to listen. To listen and to know that it's not about you. I think that any scene is about the other person. And if you're there for the other person and you're really listening... As a human. And I think that even translates to real life. Like, you know, it's so awesome when somebody just is able to listen and be fully present. And um, I think that that's where the magic happens. And you can see that, you know, with, with some of the big actors who are just impeccable at just being present and listening. Uh, it really translates.
0: Absolutely. And it's not easy. Yeah. No, I mean, how do you how do you stop yourself from preempting the next line? Obviously, you have a script. You know, you, you know that you have to listen, but you could you know, memorize. I mean, some actors do memorize the entire script. How do you make that listening natural?
2: Um. Well, I. That's a really good question. How do you make it natural? I think trusting the other actor. So like, you know, they'll say something and if you're just available and let, let the answer come to you instead of having it already prepared, it's like, be, you know, being in the moment and being able, you know, whatever their line is and being able to like think about it and then say it. it or, you know, or say it without thinking because that also happens in life. But I think just playing the truth of the scene and not, you know, kind of winking at the audience or or um, or anything like that. I don't even know. That's a great question.
0: <laughs> so, so you do all this training, you prepare, but how do you actually get yourself into an audition room? I mean, where, where does that first break come for you?
2: Um, so for me, I have some really wonderful mentors at UCLA and other uh, mentors in my life, and I... Got an actor's access account really early on. So I would just submit myself. I didn't have an agent, I would just, or a manager, I would just submit myself and go on, you know, six or seven auditions a week. And it wasn't for like, um, you know, it wasn't for highbrow projects. It was just like, what I just wanted that muscle because auditioning is such a different muscle than when you're working on a set. Um, so I just wanted to exercise that muscle. So I was, Driving myself all over town, just you know, and I didn't even get, you know, uh, I didn't get ninety percent of them. But then the one thing I would get, I'd work on it and, and get my footing a little bit, and then, um, and then, you know, you just you build some credits, and then um, with my group of friends, we all would refer each other to agents and managers and stuff. And I was also doing um, doing workshops which now is, is a little frowned upon, but I had, I had a really good experience with that. And so I was able to get bigger auditions from workshops and meet, meet a lot of people and talk to a lot of casting directors and get some advice. That, was, that really helped me.
0: Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. Now, with the auditions, have you found that in the last few years you're going into less rooms and there's more self-testing?
2: Yeah, yeah, I would. I mean, I I still go into the room a ton, but um, that there, yeah, there's a, a lot of a lot of self tapes, a lot of self tapes, and some actors don't like them. I don't mind them at all because I don't feel a lot of pressure. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, de- definitely more people are trying to be a little more eco friendly, and and so self tapes are definitely one way a lot of options are going
0: and how do you stop yourself overthinking the audition then because in theory you can record it you know a hundred times if you really want
2: yeah oh yeah i i it's i mean that's like nearly impossible to be completely honest like you will overthink it but i give myself a time limit so if i'm doing it with a friend or whatever or with a coach or something i'll like give myself okay okay we have this 15 minutes to get this beam down and that's it. And I won't do it again after a certain amount of time, because if you allow yourself well, one more time or, or my face did something really weird right there, <laughs> you know, then, then it just becomes impossible to make anything um, worthy. So it's, you know, my, my manager always says the actors give themselves way too much time. So I set a little, a little timer and it works.
0: That's a good idea. I'm I'm gonna keep that one in mind next time <laughs> next time I do a yeah. test. <laughs> yeah, oh
2: yeah.
0: Now you get on to your your first day on a professional set, you've got all this training behind you, you know your craft, but does it actually does the training actually prepare you for the, the chaos and insanity of a working film or TV set?
2: Mm, you know, I don't I don't think so one hundred percent. I think that. It helps you um, when the nerves do kick in and there's a lot of people on set, a lot of people looking at you in the bright lights and, you know, you hope for these kind of perfect, you know, conditions where everyone's very quiet and it's just kind of magical experience, but that's not always the case. And um, the per- the preparation will bring you back to the story okay, what am I trying to do right now? What What is my character trying to do and get across? Um, and that that is what helps. But I think that with acting, it's, it's one of those things where you just have to do it. You have to do it, and it's a muscle, and the more comfortable you get on set, then it becomes easier to kind of eliminate those distractions. And I think even... I think Jim Carrey said, like, they should throw tennis balls at you in acting school just to get you while you do your scene, just to get you prepared for what a set is like because it's pretty chaotic. Um, but yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, you talked uh, a, b- a bit about nerves then. I mean, do you still feel nerves when you start a project now?
2: Oh, 100%. I could even be halfway through a project, you know, because the first day of school jitters. I just I feel like a little kid always. Like, I'm just like a bunny rabbit bouncing around, and I have to really try to keep my cool. Uh, but even halfway through, yeah. I mean, because I love it so much, and it's so exciting every time we get to do what we do. So even halfway through, I have, you know, but I learned I go on long walks. Um, or I'll take a break. If I'm on a lot, I'll take a break, you know, during lunch and then I'll, I'll walk around a little bit and i able to take some deep breaths and, and bring myself back to the moment because it's very exciting. But I also think like you have to accept those nerves. It's going to happen. So you just say, all right, I'm nervous today and that's okay. I'm still going to show up to work and I'm going to do my thing. And, Hopefully it's good. <laughs> you know, he's like, "Well, I hope so." So it, you know, resisting it only makes it worse.
0: Very true. And what about with theater? Because obviously, there's nerves for the first, you know, few shows. Do you ever find that you relax into sort of just the the ebb and flow of doing a theater production?
2: Um, with live theater,
0: yeah. With live theater,
2: yeah, yeah. I haven't done a, a lot of theater in the last couple of years um because of the tv and film stuff but I feel very at home in the theater and and the opening night jitters are very real but um but I feel yeah I feel a lot of ease around it because there's the the rehearsal process really gives you that solid comfort and although like it is live theater anything could happen and that's kind of the the magic of it um in terms of trusting the the other actors and directors, it's I I feel more comfortable. But each person is completely different.
0: Of course. And do you find you prefer film, television, or theater?
2: Yeah i i prefer I prefer TV and film. Um, I really love independent working with independent artists and on indie films and independent TV shows. Um, just because like I-, I love the collaborations. I love that it's not about about the actor in in on a set, like there's a million things going on, and wardrobe is doing their thing, and the gaffers are doing their thing and, and the camera so it's it's a very collaborative experience, and it's that that awesome sense of community that um you don't get uh, a lot of other places, and you do get it in a the theater, but Um, you know, there's something about going to the movies and just being in a dark room in this collective experience, you know. Like, I remember when I saw Avatar, it was just, like, one of the most insane experiences to be in this theater watching this masterpiece with all the, you know, it's irreplaceable.
0: So what movie would you say changed your life?
2: (sighs) Changed my life... Um, I guess I have a few. I remember seeing Mrs. Doubtfire when I was very young and just it was magic. What was happening was magic and I and I was so blown away. Um I also saw Little Miss Sunshine and I I was just uh, what I was like, whatever that is, I wanna do that. <laughs> And, um, yeah, that that movie was pretty um, pretty crazy for me.
0: Well, speaking yeah. of, of, of movies, you were in Lady Bird, which was, I suppose, an indie film to start with. It became somewhat of a juggernaut across awards season. I mean, it had an incredible run. I saw it too many times in the cinemas. Um, I, I absolutely <laughs> loved it. But it was also... Um, Greta Gerwig's directorial debut, what was it like working with Greta when she hadn't actually directed a film before?
2: You know, she made it look effortless from, from my perspective. It was, I, I auditioned for the project and oh, um, well, I read the script, they sent me the script and I just I read it and just hysterically cried. And then I woke up at 5 a.m. the next morning and read it again and just cried. And then I felt, gosh, now I have to go in for this. So I went in. I thought I blew the audition. I didn't sleep for days. And I called my dad and, God, I just blew this movie. And, and he was like, you're fine. Don't worry. And I'll go get yourself a cup of coffee. You're okay. And then I got it. And Greta didn't meet me before she hired me. She, just, she hired me off of the tape. And, and from that moment, she was just so confident and had such conviction and she knew exactly what she wanted, but she still let us, um, play. And, you know, she kept her set very light. So she would play music in between setups and, you know, we had a scene for Christmas morning where we were all on the floor. She got down on the floor with us and was talking and just, just really made sure that the actors felt comfortable, that we felt comfortable Um, and she, yeah, she really, she's incredible. She's incredible. I mean, talk about a woman who's changed my life. She's, she's been, um, a huge influence on me.
0: So would you say that writing and directing is something you'd like to look at now, having seen Greta do it?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's incredibly intimidating because what she wrote is just, um, just gorgeous. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, she and I were talking about it and, and she said, she's like, Mari, you need to write. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think, I think you're right. So yeah, I would love to, I would love to. And it's also a great, a great balance with acting to be able to be creative in another facet. Um, but yeah, she's, she is definitely, she pushed all of us. She pushed all of us to kind of pursue our own thing, just like she did.
0: I mean, that, that sounds like a lot more care than a normal director would sort of place on, I mean, actors and the, the whole the whole thing. So do you think that, that because she'd written it, she was more invested than, than, say, a director who was coming in for, you know, one episode of a TV show?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't, I think that I have worked, I've been fortunate, I've worked with a lot of writer-directors so I've seen a lot of care and um, um, precision. But I'd say that there's definitely, you know, it is a it is very close to her own life. And although it's not an autobiography, it's still very, very close. So I think that there was a lot, a lot of care, a lot of care. And she was able to meet the moment. She really was. And, and you know, it's, it's hard to... To balance everything, but I think that's because she's been on she's been working for a long time and she's been on set um, that she was able to kind of pull it together. and I know that she did a lot of research before like talking to other directors and and other writer directors so she she came in prepared.
0: Well, it was evident in the result because I think it's ninety nine percent on rotten tomatoes it one a ton of awards, and I know that the cast, including yourself here, you know, off and out and about, was there any person you met or experienced that if this film hadn't happened, you wouldn't have got, where you had to sort of pinch yourself?
2: Yeah, actually, um, I got to, we were nominated for a SAG Award for um, Best Ensemble Cast in a Motion Picture, and I got to take my dad to the SAG Awards, and, uh, Steve Carell, who is just one of my favorite guys ever, he walked by me and I looked at my dad and I was like, oh my God, that's Steve Carell. And I, and he was like, go talk to him. And I was like, oh my God. So I went up and talked to him and I told him about Little Miss Sunshine. And I said, it was like, this movie changed my life. And, and, and he was like, well, it's, it's the same thing as Lady Bird and caught a movie and I was like oh my gosh that was a pretty crazy experience and my dad was just gawking over Robert De Niro <laughs> and just like we were both just having a blast pinching ourselves all night
0: it certainly sounds like it. And when you do a film like this that gets this, you know, such hype and, and praise, does it make it easier for you to get into auditions for, for bigger pro uh, bigger profile projects? Or do more people reach out to you offering you work?
2: Yeah, I think um, I yes, yeah, definitely yes, yeah, definitely it's opened some awesome doors for me um, and. I think that, if anything, it's it's really inspired me to work that much harder and um, to create my own work. And, um, you know, with a movie like Lady Bird, it does does open those doors for everybody in the cast. Um, But, you know, the business is so up and down. So there's nothing concrete or or completely reliable. So... uh, I think it's important to have other things going on, but yeah, yes, yeah, I do think so.
0: And when you've been working professionally in the industry for for such a, you know, for for a while now, is there anything about the process that ever shocks you anymore? Is there anything that you go, wow, I, I didn't expect that?
2: Hmm, that's a great question. Um... I don't know. I don't. I don't think anything has shocked me too much. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think so right now. Um, I have to think about that one. Can I get back to you? Sure,
0: sure. <laughs> okay. Um Now you you recently shot an episode of uh, HBO's Room One Hundred and Four, and I know you can't say a lot about it, but. I figured we would mention it. So what, I mean, if anything, can you tell us about it?
2: Um, yeah, it was in- incredibly exciting. Um, I've been obsessed with the Duclos brothers. I, like, want them to adopt me so bad. They're just, like, the coolest, coolest dudes. Um, and so anything they create, it was pretty wild. It's a pretty wild uh, episode. The series is... Really awesome because um, it's an anthology, so each episode is completely different, um, and it's about the uh, the motel room and each person that stays in the motel room. And our episode is pretty pretty wild. So if you like kind of cr- crazy TV, this this one's for you.
0: No, well, I just from the first season, I remember there was a horror based episode, and there were also some lighter comedy ones. Roughly, what, yeah. what, what genre does yours fall under?
2: Um, I, uh, I think I can say it's, it's thriller.
0: That seems like a safe, I think, yeah, that's, yeah. Not too, that's not giving away it, it, too
2: much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thriller, that's it.
0: Um, and you're, you're also yeah, in the upcoming movie, 30 Miles, I think, from Nowhere. Uh, is there anything about that you can share with our listeners?
2: Yeah, that was, that was an incredible experience. We, uh, it's a little indie thriller. We shattered in the woods for about a month in Box Lake, Illinois, right outside of Chicago. And, um, yeah, that was, that was awesome. You know, each set is like a masterclass. So I got to work with Carrie Preston, um, who's on that show Claus and, and she was just, you know, again, again, reiterating the writing and, and directing your own work, which she does as well. So, you know, it's it's really empowering to see all of these different women and people just taking charge of their own careers and not waiting around. And that set was super fun. And, um, yeah, I can't wait for that one to come out later this year. It's going to be good
0: so you' you've got to film in a, in a few different locations, obviously you know Sacramento for ladybird uh, chicago illinois for um for this film where Where would you like to film a project? Is there anywhere that you'd like to see and also work at the same time
2: Well, um I go to London once every couple of years, um, but i would love I'd love to shoot in England. I think that would be like. It would be incredible. I love it. I fell in love. It was a. It was the. uh, London was the only city that I. And New York, I could live in New York, but I was. I want to. I want to live here forever. (laughs) Like this is amazing. Everyone is so nice, and it's gorgeous, and yeah, I fell in love.
0: So, how do you think that the the entertainment industry? Is evolving because I think there've been a lot of changes, especially in the past few months, and then even going back to the, the introduction of Netflix and, and Hulu. And I think the whole landscape is is slowly shifting. There's more opportunities for indie films, and I just want to know how, how you reflect on all the changes that are happening in the in the space at the moment.
2: I think it's really exciting. It's really exciting for young filmmakers. I know. Um, I have a friend, his name is Ricky Wang, and he's an incredible filmmaker, writer, director. And he just made um, a short film that um, is getting so much traction, and he wrote a part for me. and, and, And that opportunity wouldn't have been able to come to him had we not had so many different outlets for TV and film. And he is, you know, I can just see him thriving And it's just—it's. I think it's really inspiring, and um, although it is shaking things up a little bit, I think it's time. I think it's time, and uh, yeah, I'm—I'm very excited and invigorated by it. And I I think that I think change is good. I think if we get too comfortable, it's not the progress won't happen as quickly. So I I mean, yeah, I love all the streaming networks and. And, I, I, yeah, I know MGM's starting one, and
0: it's, it's great. Do you like it? I do. I mean, we have less options for streaming here in Australia, so it becomes more of a monopoly, um, which I don't always think is, is necessarily great for filmmakers. You know, you've only got two choices. Mm. Um, but I think that the content that, that especially Netflix has been able to distribute for some indie filmmakers, because there are films that would never get a release here without platforms like Netflix. I mean, um, Kristen Stewart was in, I think it was uh, Personal Shopper, which was a great French film. It wouldn't have come out here if it wasn't for the streaming services. There's no way. I mean, if we'd gone back five years, Lady Bird probably wouldn't have even made it to cinemas here. So films like that, that have so much heart and and passion, Australia just sort of gets blockbusters unless something is really, you know, pushed for Oscars, we don't see the kind of films that I would like to watch. So I'm, I'm happy for it. And does I mean, it creates more opportunities for work. At the end of the day, you know, there's ten times more series being made now and not just at pilot season. So, you know, you're always auditioning, which is a really nice change as well.
2: Yeah. Have you seen... Um more Australian filmmakers have been able to get their films made because
0: of it? Not as much as I'd like yet. I've seen more Australians move to America where they can get their films made and then distributed here through the streaming services. But I think there's still a long way to go before Australians can stay in Australia and get their content out which would be really nice but i mean america's a lovely place so i'm i'm certainly not ruling out getting over there to uh, actually make work happen
2: yeah you know i i definitely want to see more work for, coming from australia i think it's really important i think it's important to be exposed to every type of film and not just you know just the americans the american films i studied um Italian cinema in college and it just it opened my mind just because we're not it, it's, it's not brought to us that's something that we have to seek mm. and as a young person it's, it's hard, you know, you just don't think about that until you are exposed and, and then it opens your mind but um, I love, love the Australian works that I've seen um, and yeah, it's, it's an incredible place
0: well, I mean, the industry here is filled with so many talented people, as it obviously is worldwide. But it, it's been... Even if people have to move at this point in time, it's still great that some of their work is getting out there. I mean, uh, Chris Hemsworth is able to bring the entire Thor 3 production to, to Brisbane, which was certainly a kick for, for their economy. Um, but it's still, Wow,
2: yeah. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, or well, even the New York scenes of, of Thor 3... Were all shot in Brisbane, so in terms of extra work and crew work, an incredible amount of Australians were employed on that. But the filmmakers and the actual production company behind it was still, you know, it was, it was still an American film. Um, but it did employ a lot of people here, at, well, in Brisbane. So that was that was fantastic, and more, more Chris well, Hemsworth. Yeah. Wow, what a
2: rock star move.
0: It was impressive. I don't, I don't think. I don't think Marvel was in a position to turn him down which is really interesting because I don't think it's often Disney has to say yes to people anymore.
2: Right, right. Think... Yeah, they don't really have to do anything. Yeah, but the fact that like he lobbied for that and he got it and he was able to employ so many people from his home. Like, that's that's the dream. That's so cool. And he's handsome.
0: <laughs> yeah. Give
2: us a stance here. Jeez.
0: Um but actually being from LA uh, as I think you you are is it is it different sort of trying to enter the the film industry or the TV industry there because you've grown up around it
2: Yeah I think you know I my parents are not in the industry my mom is a lawyer and my dad works in food service so um, I didn't grow up with it, you know, and I talk to people and they're like, oh, wow, you must have, you know, like had this friend or that friend growing up. And like, I really didn't. I didn't. And even my friends now, um, you know, are jazz musicians or opera singers, ballerinas. So, I, you know, I don't have a ton um, of, like, my, you know, my, my group growing up, I mean – um, so no, it, it helped me in terms of, I, I understood the landscape of the city and that I, I, uh, didn't have to move, move here and learn it. And, and that, you know, sometimes takes a long time to get comfortable driving and just feeling at home. And I also have the, I have my family that lives in LA and that's pretty incredible. So, um, that was that's definitely, um, a benefit but in terms of like connections or access i i i felt very new starting it out of college i was like well this is (laughs) let's do it (laughs) so yeah i'd say i
0: I love the fact that there was that whole industry there but it still felt new to explore to you even after you've lived that your whole life because i feel like there's no real aspect of australia like once you've lived somewhere in australia you've seen sort of everything that that city has to offer, which I think is one of the major differences between some American cities and, and here.
2: Hmm. I'm dying to explore Australia. I'm dying to... Yeah, it, it, was, um, it was... It was exciting. It was exciting because although I even went to UCLA, which this sounds crazy because I've, like, only ever lived in LA and England, but... Um, even yeah, I was still like, okay, I have an audition in Santa Monica. You know, I've never been here before, and, and LA is great because it's it's constantly um, revealing itself, and there's always like little pockets and always little restaurants and little um, jazz bars that you didn't know about or um, things happening. So it it is. It's like it's kind of like an onion. <laughs> kind of gross way to talk about LA. <laughs>
0: it's not like an idea it's like a beautiful rose (laughs) so for someone visiting LA where where would you send them where would be the first place that you tell them to go uh the
2: beach honestly there's no better place than than Santa Monica Venice Malibu it's just so breathtaking you know, as, as much as I like to think, I would never want to live in Malibu. Of course I'd want to live there one day. It's been so gorgeous. So I know there's a little seafood shack. I think it's called Malibu Seafood. It's on PCH, and there's outdoor picnic tables. Um, I'd say go there. Go there around sunset. Spend the day at the beach and go to Malibu Seafood. Um, yeah. Have the ahi. Pretty awesome.
0: I'm just going to write that down for next time I'm in LA. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no I, I found myself walking, I think, around 20Ks a day because I, I don't drive, um, which which makes LA a little bit, little bit more challenging. Um, yeah. I mean, between Uber and a lot of walking, I, I, I navigated.
2: Yeah. <laughs> See, you can do it, yeah. If you need a car, you definitely need a car, uh, but... But you can do it. You can do it. It's just a little more stressful. But it's also like, it gets the blood pumping. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, for, for our listeners who would like to, to stay in touch with you and just find out about all your upcoming projects, what we've talked about today, as well as whatever may eventuate in the future, where, where can they find you online?
2: Uh, my Instagram is marielle underscore. Scott, um, yeah, that's the one that I'm the most active on. I have a Twitter, but I don't use it. That's, it's Mari Scott, but uh, they can find me on Instagram.
0: Brilliant. Well, I will put a link uh, to your Instagram in the show notes of the podcast. And uh, finally, before I let you go, what is one piece of advice you would like to offer young actors who are listening to this and, and want to make a career out of it? What would you tell them?
2: Um, don't give up. Don't give up. I know it's hard and it seems impossible, but, um, you know, some, some days it seems impossible. I know it does for me at least, and just keep going. If you love it and there's nothing else you want to do, get, get into a good acting class where you trust your coach and there's good people who push you and just don't stop.
0: Well, thank you for your wise words and your time today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thank you so much, Ben. That is it for today's show. Now, don't forget that you can see me and some of our past guests at Supernova Comic-Con and Gaming Expo uh, next weekend in Melbourne. So that's the, uh, the 20th. Uh, to the I think it's the twenty third in Melbourne, and then the weekend after, so the uh, the twenty seventh onwards, uh, in the Gold Coast, we've got guests such as uh, Michael Rosenbaum and Tom Welling and Peter Capaldi and John Barrowman, and also uh, Todd Haberkorn, Stephanie Nadolny. Um, Walter Jones. It's going to be a fantastic weekend. I can't wait to get there. You can get tickets to Supernova right now and I'll see you all out there. And don't forget, as always, to check out our fantastic supporters, Palace Nova Cinemas and Mad Zombie Collectibles. And, as always, don't forget to read the movie reviews over on the movie reviews section of the site. And while you're there, why not check out our original audio drama series starring Paul McGann and John Jarrett. Well, that's it from me today. I've been your host, Benjamin Mamake. See you next time.